Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to Channel 127. Hope you had a great weekend. We are live and interactive, and for the next three hours, we'll be taking your calls at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. There's a lot to cover. There was a shooting this weekend in Denver on Saturday night, which marked America's 500th mass shooting of 2023. A mass shooting is any shooting in which four or more people are shot or killed, not including the shooter. Uh, five years ago, we had never had 500 mass shootings in one single year. But hey, this is America. We're number one. We have a really great show tonight. Adolf Reed has an incredible piece in the nation that's going to freak a lot of people out, but it is searing and powerful, and I highly recommend it. I'm really thrilled to have him. It's called How Inequality Was Redefined as Poverty, Letting Capitalism off the hook. And it points the finger at the JFK and Johnson administrations and how policy shifted from calling for the redistribution of wealth to enforcing this ideology of personal responsibility. It's very fascinating. It's very enraging. It's very controversial. You're not going to want to miss it. And whether you agree with it or not, I, I really want to hear your take. We'll also be joined by comedian Rhonda Handsome, who's here to slay some fools at all evening long, taking your calls again, 866-997-4748. Happy New Year to our Jewish brothers and sisters, 5784, I believe. You don't look a day over 5780. Right now, Thea and I come to you live from high in the Howard Stern Tower, 268 stories above Gotham, all by ourselves in this scary, empty building. But hey, this is this is hybrid. It's really fun. Uh, the UN General Assembly is meeting in New York this week, and we're getting soaked by just the bare outskirts of what was Hurricane Lee. Uh, if you've got to be in New York this week, try to not drive a car on the east side. That's all I'm going to say about that. Chris Hauselt's our executive producer, running this show like a boss from the South Carolina Bureau. We're thrilled to be with you guys. Let's get into it. It's time for Monday Malfeasance. Here's what I mean. I was away for the weekend. Uh, I wasn't here on Friday. Had a had a funeral of a close family friend I've known for many years. A, a wonderful guy, uh, a guy who grew up um, as a as an Armenian Christian in Iran, and then moved here when it was a tough time to say you were from Iran in any way. Suffered all manner of discrimination against Muslims, even though he was not Muslim. And uh, one of the finest men I knew. His daughter was in my wedding party, so I thought, okay, I'll take a break from the news for a few days mistake. This particular weekend, you could not take a break from the news. I, I spent the whole weekend thinking, oh my God, I'll have to talk about that. Have to talk about that. So there was so much 
So much happened this weekend that I want to just do a really quick catch-up so you're up to speed in case you unplugged for the weekend. And if you did, I applaud you. It's healthy. You're better than me. I promised myself and people at a funeral I would unplug. I couldn't do it. I now bring you the top 10 instances of rank fuckery and double-talking jive from the weekend we just got through. Uh, number one is uh, Donald Trump's interview. I don't know if you heard, but Beat the Press has kicked off the Kristen Welka era and the ghost of Tim Russert and the ghost of Chuck Todd and the ghost of David Gregory. Well, uh, they, they, they probably thought it was great. Trump agreed to do a sit-down interview for the new Meet the Press for the first episode. And by sit-down interview, it means uh, a critical free platform for his many lies and self-serving bullshit. And Kristen Welker decided not to challenge him decided to just keep him talking, not fact check him in real time. And so Trump did what Trump does. He breathed and he lied. So many false and misleading comments about immigration, abortion, uh, foreign policy. Here is a clip A5. Here Trump dances and flirts with a national ban on abortion. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months. You're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal ban landed on your desk, if you were reelected, would you sign it at 15 weeks? Are you weeks? talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks. That seems to be a number that people are talking about right now. Would you sign that? Uh, uh, I, would, I would sit down with both sides and I'd negotiate you something. can't answer it. And we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years. No, uh, I'm not going to say I would or I wouldn't. I mean, DeSantis w is willing to sign a five week and six week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think too what far? he did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. But we'll come up with a number. But at the same time, Democrats won't be able to go out in six months, seven months, eight months and allow an abortion. Okay, now that was as coherent as it got. And he actually made some smart points on abortion, saying how this is really bad for the Republican Party. And they're all over him for it. They hate him for it. But here, here's for the general tone. Here's Donald Trump repeating the lie that for some reason they get to keep spreading and the media never calls him out about how all over the country women are giving birth and then with the doctor's help, murdering newborns wrapped in swaddling clothes because that's a thing. Give a listen. With Hillary Clinton, when we had the debate, I made a statement, rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month. You're allowed to do that, and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Again, no one and, and is again, arguing listen, for that. That's look, not a part of anyone's uh, platform, look, Mr. President. The Democrats are able to kill the baby after birth. Let me talk to you. Nobody wants that. Yes. that Democrats don't want that so either. We're but come I want to know what you want. I want to know what you're going to do. So anyway, she called him Mr. President a lot. She, you know, she, she, and then here's the deal. She, she. She, in the real time, didn't actually call anything a lie or a prevarication or a disinformation. Uh, she didn't bother to fact check it. You heard occasionally she would say some things and she had a couple of good moments. But um, Meet the Press pre-recorded this interview. And then they had it. They edited it. They aired it with all the lies. But not any fact checking. See, if this had been live, I would have said, OK, well, it was live. What, what, what can she do? It was pre-taped, guys. It was sitting around. They could have stopped and actually fact-check because it wasn't in real time. They put it out instead on their website, and no one goes to the website. CNN put one out, Meet the Press put one out, but it didn't matter. Anyone who watched it 
probably didn't go to the website to get the fact check. And they could have done both simultaneously. What I'm saying is, Meet the Press, for the first episode of The New Host, chose to deliberately amplify lies and then hide the truth away somewhere else. If you came to our site, you can find it. They're not the only ones to do it. Here, here is uh, Donald Trump asked to define retribution, which he has promised to deliver to all those who have wronged him. When you talk about retribution, are you talking about directing your attorney general to try to go after your political enemies? When I talk about retribution, I'm talking about fairness. We have to treat people fairly. These people on January 6th, they went, some of them never even went into the building and they're being given sentences of, you know, many years. Are you going to pardon those people who've been convicted, well, Mr. President? And I certainly might if I think it's appropriate. Uh, no, it's a very, very sad thing. And it's, they're dividing the country so badly and it's very dangerous. They're beating cops. That's why they didn't go inside the building. I just, I just, I just, I know, I know. So, so I'm going to go through the rest of the top nine mind-boggling acts of fuckery this weekend as quickly as I can, including our friend, uh, comedian, actor, fake New Age guru, Russell Brand, who, you know, Russell Brand, he made a couple of films, he got really popular, he married Katy Perry, then divorced her by a text right before she went on stage one time. He hasn't really done a lot of film work in the last few years. He's built up a huge following online with his videos, which mix wellness with him as this guru and, um... Conspiracy theories like COVID denialism and vaccines. YouTube had to take down one of his videos because it was full of medical disinformation. So he moved his channel to Rumble and began doing a daily live show. And his entire rap has become all about conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. Don't believe anything they do. Don't believe the media. Don't believe the deep state. (laughs) So guess what? Now he's facing accusations of rape, sexual assault and emotional abuse over a seven year period based on allegations from four women. This is according to uh, an investigation from the Sunday Times and the Times of London and Channel 4's dispatches. These entities all worked a long time on this story. The accusers include one who was said she was sexually assaulted during a relationship with him when she was 16 and he was 31. Another woman said that Russell Brand raped her in L.A. in 2012. So his management dropped him. The comic, a lot of comics are starting to speak out and he's denying the allegations. He said all of his relationships have been consensual. His relationship with a 16-year-old girl when he was 31 is legal in England. He's not being accused of anything illegal there. It's the sexual abuse. And the Times of London said that more women have contacted the paper with allegations against Brand and they would be rigorously checked. Think about it. Russell Brand was like staunchly socialist. He was so left-wing for years. And then suddenly... I can tell you, fighting for the little guy doesn't pay as much. But if you want to go out there and spread conspiracy theories, oh, there's some evil people will give you their money. I'm just asking questions. All I'm doing is asking questions, okay? Okay? If you ask me, I knew Russell Brand was a monster when I had to see the remake of Arthur. Yeah. You, 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 oh. Oh, okay. Number three, the U.S. Marine Corps. <laughs> oh, these guys love them. They're now asking for our help in finding a missing F-35B Lightning II jet after the pilot ejected during a mishap over the weekend. Joint Base Charleston in South Carolina said yesterday that emergency response teams are still trying to find the F-35, which is worth about $156 million. The pilot's okay. Uh, but this plane is useless. This plane is useless. According to an inspector general and aerospace design engineer, (laughs) 
The plane's no good. It's one of these incredibly expensive things that Eisenhower warned us about. Anthony Zenkis of Columbia University says the price tag for the F-35 is $156 million, and they lost the plane. They don't know where the plane is on the bottom of the ocean because it wasn't working. And because it's so stealth, they can't find it. The cost of this one plane would cover free school lunches for an entire year for 223,000 kids. The new military budget calls for 126 new F-35s, which would cover free lunch for every child in this country for almost two years. This is we're a superpower warned by Eisenhower about the military industrial complex. And we're now asking citizens to help find a hundred million dollar plane, the best plane in the world right now because it crashed and we don't know where. Number four, Elon Musk. You know him. CEO of Twitter. Uh, he's got this idea he's mentioned before that he, he's finally saying it publicly. He's going to fix the problem with all the social media bots. He's going to charge everybody to use social media. He, he, he now says he's going to charge everyone to use Twitter. We're moving to a small monthly payment for the use of the X system. He said this to Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, if you don't know, uh, Twitter has descended into a haven for speech and lies. Since Musk took over and it was reported in July that Twitter has now lost 50 percent of its ad revenue. So in the name of solving the bot problem, he's going to charge everyone who wants to use the platform because, you know, bots don't have money. Bots can't buy accounts. That's the <laughs> look at your own verified section. It, so it's great. Now I can be called both a cuck and a pedo and a communist and a Nazi at the same time. OK, number five, in terms of rank fuckery from this weekend, Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher. That's all I need to say, right? They, 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 they took it back. They're not going back on the air. So we'll leave it at that. Number six, you might have heard about five Americans imprisoned in Iran over the weekend, and they were released today in a prisoner exchange negotiated by this White House. As part of the deal, $6 billion in frozen Iranian oil revenues was released, and five Iranians charged or convicted of nonviolent crimes were freed by the U.S., and the five Americans that had been rotting in a jail in Iran had been accused of being spies, or working for the U.S. government, which the White House denies. Here, Secretary of State Antony Blinken announcing the release of Americans imprisoned in Iran. One of the things that I heard in my conversation with, um, with our fellow citizens who are now free is their own determination, their own commitment, their own conviction to continuing this work, to making sure that other Americans who are unjustly detained anywhere in the world come home. To date, under this administration, we have now brought 30 Americans home from places around the world where they were being unjustly detained. That work will continue. At the same time, we're going to be working every single day to take steps to make this practice more and more difficult and um, more and more of a burden on those countries that engage in it. Uh, and you'll see in the days ahead here in New York at the United Nations uh, our efforts to work with other countries. Uh, to uh, to do just that. But for today, for this moment, uh, it's very good to be able to say that our fellow citizens are free after enduring something that I think it would be difficult for any of us to imagine, that their families will soon have them back uh, among them, and that um, in this moment, at least, I have something very joyful to report. Okay. Uh, cue the right-wing outrage by Christians who can't stand that this White House is trying to make peace with our enemies. Jesus Christ. Okay, number seven, Lauren Boebert, she released uh, her apology to the Daily Beast about what she did. She was kicked out of a production of Beetlejuice the Musical in Denver. You know how hard it is to get thrown out of theater in Denver? She refused to stop vaping, and everyone around her asked her to stop. 
you saw this whole thing. It's trash. She flipped off the staff at the Colorado Theater. She initially denied it and said, I don't vape. And then they showed the surveillance footage of her vaping. And the pregnant lady behind her asking her to please stop. She tried to get the theater staff in trouble. And her self-serving bullshit lie statement was, whether it was the excitement of seeing a much-anticipated production or the natural anxiety of being in a new environment, I genuinely did not recall vaping that evening, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this woman attacks the LGBTQ community. She, she, she talks about gay people, trans people, drag queens as sexual deviants. She lectures everyone about how the LGBT community is a threat to children while she's giving a hand job to some dude in a public theater where children are watching a musical. This is an insane Republican hypocrite who gets to make decisions for your life on contraception and sexuality and love. But yeah, it's the LGBT people who are endangering kids. And I don't mind that she gets her freak on. Go ahead. But again, this is what I learned from Jesus. It's never the sin. It's always the hypocrisy over the sin. And she didn't apologize because she felt bad. She apologized because she knows... She's probably going to be looking for a new job in early 2025. Okay, number eight. Oh, Jan Wenner, founder of Rolling Stone, one of the guys who built the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he has been removed from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Board of Directors after he pretty much said women and people of color are dumb. You've heard about it in his new book, The Masters. It's interviews with musicians, great musicians, people I love, Dylan and Jagger and Lennon and Springsteen and Pete Townsend and Bono. I've interviewed a few of those guys. All white men. Love them all. He interv- I've interviewed some of them. But there's no Joni Mitchell, there's no Patti Smith, there's no Chuck D, there's no Little Richard, there's no Jimi Hendrix. And, and look, Jan Wenner, he, he, he could have he said, look, I'm sorry. He could have pointed out, he gets credit, in my opinion, that there are so many hip-hop acts in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because Jan Wenner pushed it. I, I will give him credit for that. But when they asked him about it, he said, of black artists, you know, Stevie Wonder, genius, right? I, I suppose when you use a broader word as masters, the fault is using that word. Maybe Marvin Gaye or Curtis Mayfield? I mean, they just didn't articulate at that level. Ooh, dude. Joni Mitchell, Marvin Gaye, Curtis Mayfield, they're, they're just not as articulate for him. There's nothing left to say, is there? Number nine, Steve Scalise, number two House Republican, came back to the U.S. Capitol on Thursday for the first time since being diagnosed with blood cancer, multiple myeloma, and he's undergoing chemotherapy, and he wore a mask. Because he should wear a mask, because he's immunocompromised, and the party he leads is telling Americans to refuse to wear masks. Wearing a mask because of the science and to save his own life. Here's Steve Scalise's tweet, July 28th, 2021. First they told us don't wear a mask, then they told us wear a mask, then wear two masks, then get the vaccine, and you don't have to wear a mask. Now they tell us never mind, wear a mask. This isn't about science, it's about government control. One million Americans died of COVID, and all the time, guys like Scalise ridiculed masks. And now when the threat of COVID hits home, he shows up and acts like an adult. Boy. This is the guy who opposed women, opposed LGBT people, called himself David Duke without the baggage, made it easier for mentally ill people to get guns, and then a mentally ill person shot him, and he had his life saved by a black, married, female, lesbian cop. And he learned nothing. And finally, number 10, it's Donald Trump. You knew he was going to make the weekend special, and he marked the Jewish New Year by posting a meme trashing liberal Jews. Just a quick reminder for liberal Jews who voted to destroy America and Israel because you believe false narratives. You heard the whole quote. Because 87% of American Jews voted for the current Democratic incumbent, he can say liberal Jews are out to destroy America. You know, NBC should give this guy a platform to say untrue shit and never correct him. I have more to say on this. We'll get to it later on in the show. Right now, we're going to hit a quick break. And when we return, I am really thrilled to welcome to the show Professor Adolf Reed Jr. for his incredible... 
incredibly searing piece in the nation how inequality was redefined as poverty, letting capitalism off the hook. We'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. So I raced through... That last entry of my top 10 examples of rank fuckery over the weekend, our guest is delayed, however, so let me just go back to it. Because while people were observing Rosh Hashanah, Trump posted on his website, Filth Social, just a quick reminder for liberal Jews who voted to destroy America and Israel because you believed false narratives. Let's hope you learned from your mistake and make better choices moving forward. Happy New Year. Now, what is that? What is he, what is he saying there? Apart from repeating, you know, anti-Semitic threats liberal jews are out to destroy america 87 percent of american jews voted for this current president um this is not the first time donald trump has insulted the vast majority of american jews remember four years ago he called jewish democrats disloyal uh three years ago he said he moved the u.s embassy to jerusalem for the evangelicals because they're more loyal Uh, Last year, he told Jews in America to get their act together on Israel before it's too late. It's nothing new, guys. Congressman Jerry Nadler said, next time you attack American Jews, think twice before doing it on one of our holiest days. Your anti-Semitism is loud and clear, and your fear of democracy supporters here is showing because of your authoritarianism. And again, this is the president who keeps going after who? Brown-skinned women in the Congress for being anti-Semitic. If you're keeping track of reality, however... Uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, they never attacked Jews. They never attacked Judaism. Uh, They criticized the government of Israel. Trump said Jews who choose not to vote for him were disloyal and ignorant. Okay, criticizing the Israeli government doesn't mean you hate Jews. Just like criticizing Hamas doesn't mean you hate Muslims. Just like criticizing the Trump administration doesn't mean you hate NASCAR fans. Uh, In fairness, however, 
both Nick Fuentes and Kanye West have stepped forward to say Trump's not anti-Semitic. Let's go to the phones. We're at 866-997-4748. Oh, okay. Let me pause on our guest, Sean and Callie. If you'll hold that thought, we'll come back to you in just a moment. But it's come to my attention. We have our guest all set. Uh, I'm really, really pleased to welcome our next guest. He's written uh, an incredible piece for the nation that I'm going to encourage every one of you to read. Uh, Professor Adolph Reed Jr. is a columnist for the nation. He's Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Pennsylvania. Most recently, the co-author with Walter Ben Michaels of No Politics But Class Politics, and he appears on the Class Matters podcast. His amazing piece in the nation is How Inequality Was Redefined as Poverty, Letting Capitalism off the hook. This thing will blow the roof off. Professor Reed, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on Sirius XM. Oh, hi. Uh, well, well, yeah, I'm very happy to be here, and uh, yeah, thanks for asking me. Oh, no, and not not at all. work it out on kind of short notice. That's great. Oh, okay. I didn't know it was short notice, so thank you very much. We're most grateful to you for joining us. Um, th- this piece is fantastic, and it's going to upset a lot of people's uh, rosy opinions, perhaps, of the progressive credentials of Democratic presidents in the 1960s, but it's the sort of thing that has to be examined. Let me ask you, when we're talking about how poverty was defined as a national problem in the late 50s and early 60s, this is something that really, as you put it, redefined economic inequality from a description of material circumstances to a culture issue that was really focusing more on the inadequacies of certain individuals or groups. And you lay it all out beautifully. Let me begin by asking you, you, what were the debates going on in the John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson administrations on how people should understand and how government should respond to what we call poverty? Well, um, yeah, they came down to two basic positions. And uh, I mean, I think um, um, I may uh, you give you a little bit of, of a shaggy dog kind of response initially. So sure. because what happened was um, at the end of 1952, unemployment was 2.9 percent and most people don't don't know about this but um the big struggle i guess right i mean political struggle after um you know the war was whether the new deal would be built on and extended or mm-hmm. or rolled back or stopped in its tracks and you can imagine which forces in american society were on which <laughs> the which cold side. war economy of harry truman yeah. and his successors yes right exactly and it's kind of a parallel point, but like um, it has been a cottage industry in, in, in the political science in, in particular over several decades trying to ask or to explain why the U.S. didn't develop um, a social welfare state as extensive as Western and Central European countries mm-hmm. did. And, there's, and, and as you know, there, there are all kinds of cultural uh, what, explanations about American character and values and whatnot. But that's a very simple explanation, well, which was that, that uh, capitalist classes in Europe came out of the war weakened and discredited by their associations with fascism. And um, the capitalist class in the U.S. came out stronger and, and more legitimate than they had been before the war. And immediately went on the war path uh, to try to stop the New Deal in its tracks and to and uh, to roll it back as much as possible. A, a key flashpoint uh, was the Full Employment Bill of 1945, which mm-hmm. was not uh, you know the employment bill that passed the following year. Uh, the 1945 bill would would have established full employment as a cornerstone of American economic policy and would have authorized 
you know, the executive branch to do whatever was necessary to bring uh, unemployment down to a manageable level. Uh, uh, there wasn't a consensus about how low that would have been, uh, but most uh, you know, liberals and, and the progressives you know, tended to think that 2 to 3% unemployment was uh, reasonable. So that failed, right? Yeah. So at the end of the Korean War, uh, the unemployment was 2.9%. For the next decade, it never really got below four and a half percent and spent a lot of time bouncing around five and six. And I know for people who are younger than baby boomers, um, you know, the idea that four percent unemployment was a matter for concern, then uh, it might seem kind of odd. But that also speaks to how much ground we've lost. Exactly. So anyway, in the midst of this, um, the economic report of the president in the Eisenhower administration in 1955 mentioned poverty as a problem. But the way that that ERP interpreted poverty uh, was kind of straightforwardly as people who didn't have enough money to live on. Mm-hmm. And the authors of that report specifically said it was mainly rural and, and a mainly elder. Okay. All right. In the late 50s, Oscar Lewis, anthropologist, invented the notion of a culture of poverty. And the idea there was that some percentage of the population who were poor, um, and most calculations were 15 to 20 percent, based on nothing, by the way, of of, of the poor people were hopelessly mired in a self-reproducing tangle of pathologies. So the punchline (laughs) was that if you were to give them money and and to try to address the poverty via re- redistribution, you'd fail because the real sources of of poverty were cultural and yep. and individual failing. So people in who lived in depressed areas who who for whatever reasons couldn't get themselves to leave, right, were were one pathological population. I, mean, I just mentioned on a panel a few days ago that uh, John Kenneth Galbraith, on his chapter in poverty in his book, The Affluent Society, mm-hmm. was genuinely bemused that people in places like um, Appalachia you know, didn't just leave, right? And I thought, yeah, okay, this is a guy who was born in Calgary, he went to Berkeley, he went to Harvard, both him went to India, but, uh, but anyway... And then for non-whites, poverty, uh, the sources of poverty were combined with the tangle of pathologies and racial discrimination. Yep. Right. So at the same time in the late 50s and early 60s, some some economists and and others began to argue or argued that that the main source of chronic unemployment in the U.S. was uh, structural and that it was a product of reorganization at the sectoral level in, in in the national economy with the effect that the economy was shedding more jobs in, in the reorganizing sectors than it was adding right. in, in the areas of new investment. At the same time, the Kennedy administration, uh, in connection with the Ford Foundation, found the cultural and individual explanations of poverty as not being connected with with, with structural economic performance uh, more attractive 
for a couple of reasons. Of One, course. It, it is that it was cheap, right? Like it's cheaper. It's not going to hurt donations. Uh, uh, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, I mean, the idea was that you would uh, uh, fix the people, right? And part of the notion coming from the Ford Foundation was that people were poor and demoralized in inner cities because uh, they had deficits in their senses of personal and group efficacy. Ding, ding. So that participation uh, in civic life becomes a way to fight poverty, not by giving people money but or giving them jobs, but by helping to overcome uh, you know, the deficits in sense mm-hmm. of personal um, capacities. Which is how so many civil rights-minded liberals of their era slid into racial tropes and stereotypes. So Absolutely. What, what no, my understanding is correct. that on the one side, you've got, you know, you've got your Eugene Debs wing, your New Deal right. wing. You've got people like, like A. Philip Randolph saying, no, we want to end poverty. Then the government has to be more involved in directly managing the economy, redistributive social wage policies, you know, public investment, direct job creation. Yep. And then on the other side, or as you call it, the other view, which won out, was, oh, no, we need more tax cuts to stimulate demand, and that'll generate jobs to right. increase private investment and have a few programs for these poor people so we can all feel sorry for them. And I'm not saying that these social safety net programs haven't had a value, but they were right. a Band-Aid rather than a structural fix. It's rather telling we're having this conversation a week after we learned that our government was able to manually get child poverty down to the lowest level in history in 2021. And then when the child tax credit ran out, we just found out child poverty doubled in 2022. It's the same debate, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward, too, isn't it? I mean, like you give people support and they'll get jobs and they'll do whatever else. Right. And yeah, I mean, kids will have um, better lives. And I've argued in a book that I'm trying to finish now that that taking this moment in the early and mid 60s into account, it, it really looks more and more like the Kennedy administration was was where the zygote of what would be considered neoliberalism was yeah. actually formed. Well, I mean, we we hear our right-wing friends all the time talk about how President Kennedy cut taxes for the wealthiest. Uh, right. he, he cut them from 90 down to 70%, which would still be great today. But yeah, of course, absolutely. that was the beginning of this feeling that, well, no, let's let's make it easier for the rich and then they'll they'll help. I, I'm curious, defining poverty as a as a cultural problem rather than calling it inequality as an economic problem. How did this figure into the Cold War propaganda of the 1960s? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's the other piece of it. I mean, and in fact, when I started to work on the structural unemployment debates, I was kind of moved moved to see this, the extent to which uh, even labor economists who argued for the existence of you know, structural unemployment and who argued against the idea that unionization produced inflation, contended that we needed or that one of the reasons that a strong union sector and the American system of collective bargaining was so important was not just for domestic welfare, but as an element of the U.S.'s Cold War struggle for the hearts and minds of people in what was then often called the Third World, because part of our shtick was that American capitalism, and often they didn't even want to call it capitalism anymore, uh, had overcome class struggle and class class conflict. And we had harmonious 
labor relations in the U.S. and pursuit of economic growth had made possible a, a steadily rising standard of living, at least for enough of the population, so that and the redistribution wasn't wasn't really necessary. And that moment of of what was sometimes you know called the labor capital accord of the 50s was was supposedly the important expression of of the superiority of of American economic life. Uh, but yeah, I mean the Cold War concern, you know, you know to put a good face forward. Uh, was part of the mix, but also, um, you know, the U.S. began to export, you know, our, uh, I mean, domestic version of poverty fighting, too. That's right. right? I mean, of of, a, of understanding, of a wanting to uh, you know, redefine um, economic inequality in uh, other countries mm-hmm. uh, as stemming from cultural sources, like instead of economic exploitation and, and class power. And and again, because the war on poverty was not adequately funded, we were essentially using a Band-Aid when we needed a transplant. It's allowed subsequent generations of right-wing thinkers to say, oh, that was a failed social program. Well, one Absolutely. final question, Professor, because I found this fascinating in many ways. The unemployment rate went even lower thanks to massive public spending Right. On the Vietnam War, um, in many ways, uh, it seems the Vietnam War, like other wars before and after, could be considered a very expensive socialist jobs program. Well, yeah, uh, I'd say uh, you know that war and others before. It's kind of a different situation, uh, you know, in, in the new forms of uh, war fighting with the proxy wars and and in the high tech wars that that aren't. Uh, fought with weapons that that are no longer match uh, uh, mass produced in the same way, but that's absolutely correct. I mean, and that was another problem with post-war liberalism and left. I mean, liberalism. One one of the you know more important pro-worker. Uh, I mean, economists. I guess is a well, is a way to put it. Uh, Leon Kaiserling, who was uh, what was at one point the head of, uh, of the Council of Economic Advisors under uh, um, Harry Truman, uh, was a principal drafter of the Wagner Act, right? That uh, I mean, that authorized the National Labor Relations Act, actually, and also the Freedom Budget was a militant, uh, you know, guns and butter guy, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, he wasn't alone. I mean, like the two. So I mean, that was another contradiction, right, that was nurturing in the womb. And by the way, you mentioned, but I got to say this, you mentioned Band-Aids twice. And I'll tell you, like, I I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember that people who criticized the war on poverty from from the left in real time, right, a common slogan was that these programs are like putting a Band-Aid on a cancer sore. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's not to say we should get rid of the social safety net. It's to say, well, no, we, no, not at all. That's yeah, right. we just yeah. need a full body transplant. Um, Professor yeah. Adolf yeah, Reed absolutely. is a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Pennsylvania. His must read piece in the nation is how inequality was redefined as poverty, letting capitalism off the hook. Professor, thank you for joining us and thank you for making this so accessible. I really appreciate your time and expertise. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. Whew, this is progress. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. 
Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I'm John Fugle saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Let's get to your calls. Thank you all for your patience. Uh, Sean and Callie, you got cheated last time. I'm sorry I had to put you on hold. Welcome. No, don't be sorry because I listened to the show and that was a great interview. And, you know, I did have to uh, comment on the MSNBC, you know, or meet the press, NBC in general, um, Welker. You know why? I mean, what happened actually is exactly what I thought would happen. A question and answer. Why on earth would you do that? And let me put it this way. If, you know, Osama bin Laden or Tim McVeigh before they, you know, or after they did their thing, you had them on your show, you don't ask them questions about, you know, like, well, what do you think about the fact that you're looking at all these years in prison? And what are those, you know, what, what do you think, why do you think people are thinking that, you know, you should be held accountable for this, that, and the other? That's not the way this operation works. You're right. If you have a criminal, in my opinion, and we know he's a criminal, we knew Tim McVeigh was a criminal, we knew Osama bin Laden was a criminal, I'll, if you're on the seat, you're being interrogated. I, I don't ask you a question that I know you're not going to listen to. <laughs> That's not what you do. Yeah. Because Donald bin Laden did that, John. What he did was exactly what a lot of politicians do, but, you know, someone who's committed crimes, that's what they do. What they do is they're not going to answer your question. They're going to answer what they want to put out there. And all he did was say all the propaganda, all the lies that he's been doing for so long. I was, you know, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. It didn't even surprise me one bit. But the thing about Donald bin Laden, the only... uh, defense he really would have would be insanity but the problem is he's just like a serial killer he's sane but he's sick Hmm. he's sane he knows exactly what the fuck he did yeah he knows exactly what the fuck he's doing he knows he's guilty yeah yeah he does um that's a really really good point and you know it was Look, I, I'm, I'm, my hope is that Kristen Welker will see these criticisms. We're going to play her response later in the show and, and that, you know, she will be a bit more tough, but she's not going to get another shot at Donald Trump. And there was a, there was one part in Mediate that I thought was actually interesting because she was really pressing him on the big lie that he'd won the election. She says the most senior lawyers in your administration and on your campaign told you that it was over. Why do you ignore them and listen to these other clowns? And he goes, I didn't respect them. And she said, well, you hired him. And he's like, well, they turned out to be rhinos. They were they were no good. So then she kept pushing him to her credit. And she brought up Sidney Powell, who Trump called crazy behind closed doors. And they were lying. And he says, you know who I listen to? Myself. So she goes, you were listening to your instincts. And here's where she actually did some good journalism. Because he was saying, there are many lawyers. I could give you many books. There are books written on how the election was books written by his flunkies. Right. But then she, she asked him if he was calling the shots on claiming the 2020 election was rigged while his lawyers were saying otherwise. And he said, oh, sure, it was my decision. And that, I thought, was the only thing that justified the entire interview because maybe 
those words will come back to haunt him. He more or less said, yes, the entire team told me I had lost. It was my decision to move forward. That speaks exactly to Jack Smith's case. That speaks exactly to Fonnie Willis's case in Georgia. Well, I agree with that. But here's the thing. Jack fucking Wick Smith already knew that shit. And what she should have done is say that, yes, Donald bin Laden made all the decisions and had Joe Biden for an interview. Are you sure? Because I, yeah. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, you're but you know, have you know why they wouldn't. Just, I mean, not to be cynical, but they wouldn't do it because they'd yeah. assume no one's going to listen to that old man. But they will listen to this old man. My understanding is That's the ratings true. haven't been that hot. But I mean, he 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 basically has thrown out his main defense because his main defense is, Your Honor, I was just doing what my lawyers told me. And now he's revealing he ignored his lawyers. So he might have shot of himself course. in the foot like a deputy of Mayberry. Well, I, I, of course, he does that all the fucking time, right? But I think what the media is doing is very short-term assumptions, and they're really bad about going viral. You know, talk to some of the Gen Zs. You want to go viral? You should have raped motherfucking Donald Bin Laden over the coal, mm. and you would have blew up as a company. But instead, <laughs> yeah, don't 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 say don't say Donald Trump and going viral too much. It just it, there's too many syphilis <laughs> imagery popping up for me on that one. But yeah. Well, yeah, but, he but, killed a lot of people with the virus. But yeah, again, for uh, no you know, about Kristen Welker's been raked over the coals for just deferring to him so much, but I want to give her a little bit of credit because I think he might have revealed his culpability in that moment and I think you might see that they're going to go to trial on March 4 because he not only admitted that he was behind the big lie, he admitted that he blew off the lawyer he's going to claim in his defense we're giving him bad advice that's true yeah so you know i mean look it's not a personal attack it's just a system i think is short-term uh gains uh and they're missing out on the long term and by the way if they screw up enough uh, and we lose this uh, next election, uh, they're going to find out they're going to be out of a job. Anyway. Right on. Right on. Well, all I'll say is there goes his advice of counsel defense. I think he blew it. Sean, thank you so much for the call. Seriously, that interview might come up in the trial. Quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. We are at 866-997-4748. We have more audio to play from the day. A lot more to cover. Want to hear your thoughts on everything from Russell Brand to Jan Winner. And uh, we'll be right back. This is Progress. So tonight on the show, we have someone who's an expert on shit, and that's Rhonda Handsome, people. One of the funniest ladies in the game. She's a stand-up comic. She's a writer. She's a director. Rhonda's open for Diana Ross. She opened for Aretha. She opened for Anita Baker. She does great solo shows. And if you're lucky enough to be in New York, she's going to be doing some readings, open readings to the public of the play she's directing, Dust of Egypt at the Sheen Center. God, that's a gorgeous room. Rhonda, welcome back. I'm black, y'all. Thank you. I've always wanted to do a show at the Sheen Center. It is such a gorgeous facility. John, if the, to say it is gorgeous is an understatement. The uh, administration is very cooperative. All the help there is uh, very generous. The place is beautiful. Yeah. We're in uh, studios on the second floor, but they have two great theaters, uh, one proscenium and a black box and... Um, it's just fabulous. It's and I have space. to tell you, just being in the studio with Dust of Egypt is an incredible experience uh, for me. You know, this play won Best Actress. I was nominated for Best Director and it was nominated for Best Production. 
in the New York Theater Festival, mm -hmm. uh, the Winterfest. And, you know, we're looking for angels, investors, producers, people who want to see this move forward for uh, educational purposes or for um, or for a, a run uh, because it is just so fantastic. And I'm kind of high from it because the cast is great. The writer is wonderful. You know, the, everyone is working uh, in, in synergy. And um, if people want to uh, come see it, if they can get to the Lower East Side, the Sheen Center is down on 18 Bleecker Street. Our entrance is on Elizabeth Street. They should just hit me up on uh, social media and uh, I'll make sure they can get in because uh, they may it may be sold out on the on the website. And for those who aren't theater nerds, of course, this is a reading. It's not like a full-fledged production. That's it's a work right. in progress, That's right? Right. It, it is a reading. Uh, the actors have their uh, scripts in hand. Some of these fabulous actors uh, have a large parts of it memorized because they were the uh, part of the original cast. But um, it, it is a reading, and uh, it, it's it's a different way of experiencing a, a, a play. You know, without the full uh, costumes and and set. Yes, but but you get to experience the text. You get to really hear the dialogue and the message in a different way than when, you know, you have all the bells and whistles. I mean, let's be serious. I've done a lot of readings in my life, and the real deal is you're supposed to hold a script in your hand, but you're also kind of supposed to have it memorized and just hold the script. I mean, you yeah. know, come on. You're, you're, you're allowed to stand there and read, but most actors want to be off book and just hold it to show how good they are. Well, but not well. Yes, it it is an opportunity for them to show how good they are, and so and they are that good. I, you know, I I have never had a cast that worked together and worked with me this way. And I have to tell you, John, this is the first time I've done over thirty five productions. This is the first one that has gone to another phase like this where we might be able to keep it moving. So I'm, I'm kind of excited. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and you just came from a reading tonight. I just yeah. Tonight was our first one. It's on Monday nights at seven o'clock at the Sheen Center, and uh, it, it only runs an hour. And we have wine and cheese after, so nice. you know you can imbibe so and and talk to the cast. One more time, goddess. Anyone in the tri-state area who wants to come in on a Monday night and experience your work as a director, where should they go? They should go to Twitter uh, hmm. at Rhonda Handsome, or they can go to. Uh, Rhonda Handsome Comedy on Facebook and just say that uh, they are from TME, that they're with John saying and they want to see Dust of Egypt, oh, which is about Sojourner Truth's search for her son who was sold into slavery and taken down south. And, and you don't need to be able to spell or pronounce my name, I promise. Uh, Rhonda, I'm so happy to see you. There's so much going on uh, in the world, but a couple of cultural things that you know, obviously aren't as important as the UAW strike, but uh, between the allegations against comedian Russell Brand, which apparently took a long time for people to feel safe talking about, and then uh, Jan Wenner, who's, you know, say what you want about that guy, uh, he, he he's the reason there's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in a Rolling Stone magazine. He's I want I, the I will, drugs he's taking, John. I, I, and I want to say this again. I will give him credit. He's the reason why Grandmaster Flash and Public Enemy and NWA and Run DMC are in the Hall of Fame. He's been very good about getting hip-hop acts in. But when he sits down to write a book containing some of his interviews with great musicians, I mean, do you think there's anyone in the room with him to say, hey, these are all interviews with just white men and you're calling the book 
the masters and it's an art form that let's just say wasn't exactly created from scratch by white men i i i i no one around him said hey maybe at least the title change well this is why you always hear representation matters you know sometimes when people are there representing they're not doing a great job but if there's no one in the room to tell him the foundation of rock and roll. I mean, do we need to have little Richard come up out of the grave to say we are the originators? We we are the creators of basically all of American music. And uh, he he really overstepped his boundaries. I, I'm telling you, John, his book signings are going to be very entertaining. Oh. I got to tell you. <laughs> they will be few and they will be brief. I mean, and again, like if you're the guy who fought to put so many hip hop acts in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, why not have just an interview with Chuck D, right? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Jan Wenner must have interviewed Jimmy Hendrix. Maybe he never interviewed Jimmy Hendrix. It's all good people. I love Dylan. I love Jagger. I love Bono. They're all awesome. But like, there's no Joni Mitchell. There's no Patti Smith. There's no women here. It, I just... I, well, he was really successful at being, uh, uh, appearing racist and sexist at the same time. He really did a nice one-two punch for himself. Yeah, it's like the ignorant racist. I'm sure he... I'm, I'm sure he's... I call it the ignorant racist people who just have no idea that they're being racist because they're so goddamn ignorant and that's that's a lot of nice polite people but jesus christ i mean sister loretta tharp is like what the heck is he thinking about (laughs) i mean i mean gil scott heron had to die to get in the hall of fame and he still got in through a side door sister rosetta tharp is is finally beginning to be appreciated i think i mean you can't watch a video of sister rosetta tharp playing guitar and not be moved and changed forever and then he calls a book the masters and it's yeah, all white it, guys it, it, it's kind of sneaky kind of weird and and you know whoever's publishing his book said oh this sounds like a great idea let's run with it i mean i know he's interviewed stevie wonder but then then he said you know he said the the fault is using the word the masters that he said maybe marvin gay or curtis mayfield i mean they just didn't articulate at that level i Love Bruce Springsteen. What is, what are you talking about that Curtis Mayfield didn't articulate? You know the worst part about this, Rhonda? It really upset Mitch from Kent State. Mitch, are you okay with this? Are you outraged about this? <laughs> I cannot believe it. Hello, Rhonda. How are you tonight? Uh, glad to hear you, Mitch. Hey, well, one of these days we're, we're coming to your show. I, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, John, uh, just unbelievable. You know, it, Articulation, my Arti- God! He literally said rock articulate. Ah, rock and roll isn't using about using all the buzzwords, all the racist buzzwords. I mean, yeah, he had to have you known know, as I, soon he, as he said and, it. And not only that, well, you know, the, the book's called the Masters, and then he says Curtis Mayfield, Marvin Gaye didn't articulate at that level. <laughs> Jesus, there'd be no Bono without those guys. Oh my God! You know, and, 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 but you look at the um, the members of the Rock and Hall of Fame. First of all, you know, there's only what was it, uh, uh, sixty five uh, women in the Rock and Hall of Fame. Oh, I know. Plus, I oh, know. Plus Tracy Chapman still women. not in. Sinead O'Connor right. still not in. I mean, so right. many great female artists that just yeah. they, there's no there's no yeah. movement for it. I mean, they nominate and, Shaka Khan every year. Uh, you know, but you know, Bessie Smith. My God, Bessie Smith. You know, I think no she's one. in. I think Bessie Smith is in as an early. Uh, she's in, but I mean, as far as uh, as far as uh, groundbreaking, as far as you know, groundbreaking. Oh yeah. My God, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, <laughs> she's go? a tough get you know, for an interview, though. But yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no joke, but you know what? They just you, know, you like it right. Either change the title, or you know, or, or, or you know, rearrange the uh, the thinking. I, yeah. I just don't know. It's, I think uh, what it just means is Jan Wenner is going to be more marginalized and go. And you know, I should you know the the only person on the board to vote to not remove him was John Landau. Springsteen's mm-hmm. manager, because right. Jan Wenner is responsible for a lot of Jot Landau's career in power. So the whole thing just it just stinks like Keith Moon's hamper. I want him to go on an apology tour. I mean, when a black person just breathes something that uh, any group has a problem with, they have to do a six month mea culpa, <laughs> and and he should be on an apology You're tour. Right. For this. I mean, it this is, is just on blatant. the anniversary of Jimi Hendrix dying. This happens. Just Jesus. <laughs> there, yeah. And the other thing is, John. You know, the, well, first of all, there was all you know when when they when they decided Cleveland was going to get the Rocker Hall of Fame. You know, there's a big uproar. Yeah, I know what makes Cleveland so special. Yeah, I know Memphis. You know, other than Memphis, I think Memphis really should have gotten. Yeah, but Memphis. No, because Memphis, you 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 got Graceland in Memphis, and and you know, I mean, look, I love Memphis. The Civil Rights Museum is in Memphis. Yeah. It's my favorite museum in the country. But uh, Memphis has got Elvis, so I think they wanted to go somewhere else. That that you know, I mean, well, because of uh, Alan Freed was one of the main okay. thing. Alan Freed, you know, uh, being from here, but uh, but Memphis kind of was a crossroads. I mean, because you still had you know the, some of the country from the south. No, and I know from the south, and you but Memphis, you have your Memphis. own, you have your own. Tour. You got, you got Sun Studios in Memphis. You got Reverend Al Green's church. You got Elvis's true. house. There's a lot of things to see in Memphis for music fans. True, true. Uh, and if I may, John, real quick, Hassan Minhaj also. Uh, did you uh, read the story about the? That's fellowship? actually interesting. Yeah, I, Rhonda, did you hear the Hassan Minhaj story? You know, it's it's not as inflammatory as the Russell Brand one, but he he just more or less admitted that in a lot of his personal stories that he's you know moved facts around and had hybrid characters and changed events. This is something that a lot of writers do. And, and I think it's a lot, a lot of comedians and a lot of monologists do it. You you tell the truth, but you not always get the facts straight to make it a better, tighter story. I, I think the problem there is when you go selling yourself as this, you know, guy telling authenticity stories. And again, Hassan Minaj will not be canceled because of this. He'll bounce back and have a long career. Russell Brand, uh, not so much. I I just wish I I knew how to to pull these things off in order to advance my career, John. I mean, you know, he's very high profile and he's frequently funny. And I I it's unfortunate that he he has misrepresented his own um, events. You're thinking that he these things happened to him when they really didn't, and uh, it it really it's misrepresentation. I'm not calling for him to be. Canceled, Me neither, but, but I think Russell Brand just saved Hassan Minaj's career. <laughs> yes, yeah, took took him off the front page. Yeah, uh, my because my, my whole career plan, Rhonda, is to wait till every man who's more successful than me has disgraced themselves, uh, <laughs> and, and they'll just move on. Out, yeah, uh, that's it. Ru- Russell Brand got it. Check. What was next? So, <laughs> but, you know, if if I may, John, both being you know in, in the comedy world there, uh, but isn't. Is it an embellishment or is it exagger- exaggeration? You can you can have a seed of truth, okay, yeah. a seed of truth for your story, yeah, okay, and you you can build on that, right? If, if you're doing a comedy bit, uh, how much leeway do you have as far as you know uh, embellishing? You or, know, or, uh, it 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 varies, it varies, and and I, again, not to defend what he did, but people have no idea how common this is in storytelling and monology and novels. How how you'll you'll take different events. 
You'll change someone's name. You'll take an event that happened here and move it around in time to make it a better story because you're trying to yeah. deliver something that feels like the truth. So, you know, it, it's it's to me, it's a minor. If he's whole making up characters and events and all that, and especially making up events about racism, then that's a different ball game because a lot of people have suffered. And for you to glamorize something to get uh, some laughs and career advancement, then you got to deal with it. But I'm telling you, man, after the revelations about Mr. Brandy, you will not be hearing anyone complaining about Hassan Minaj. I think the women comics need to start sexually harassing people more because it really gets, you know, your high profile gets attention and you get spots. You get spots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do have one. Go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, w- I have one serious question to ask both of you. Your go to karaoke song. Little Wing for me. <laughs> really? Little Wing. Yes. Good. That's yeah. my favorite I, Hendrix song. I love it. That's my number one wow. favorite Hendrix song. Yeah. I love the Clapton version. I love the Sting version. And the Hendrix version oh is just God. beautiful. Wow. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. do karaoke, Mitch. That's my answer. <laughs> well, Chris, Chris is ironic. He, he likes ironic. And mine is... Uh, Wait, Chris my, Chris, my producer, likes to karaoke yeah. Alanis Morissette's ironic? That's what he told me. <laughs> Maybe he was being that. ironic when he said that, don't you think? <laughs> By the way, mine's a rain day woman, 12 and number 35. So. Oh, wow. Okay. wow. I, I got to fit. What's the, what's the whitest song possible? Because that's, I mean, how much is that doggy in the window? There there you go. There's mine. <laughs> hey, Mitch, thank you so much for the call. Thank you. Thank you. 866-997-4748. Let's go to Mark in Texas, who's been on hold for a while. Mark, thank you so much for your patience. Welcome. You're on Sirius XM with uh, comedian Rhonda Hanson. Hello. Little Wing is the one that won. That's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, Best Cedric song. Yes. But I want to, uh, what I want to say is, let me tell you, I've made some poor choices, some poor actions. I've acted a fool. I've fed into stuff that was on the phone to give it a show when I didn't know things were streaming when I found out. But I want to thank everyone for the streaming because it's saving my life today. What happened? I made, I, I, the thing is, I actually realized, you know, I blamed a lot of people, I've accused of hacking and fed and all kind of stuff. But, you know, I've used uh, a horrible substance that is readily available in the world now and cheaper than dirt, which is a horrible thing. And I decided I didn't want that life. And one thing is my family is more important. Mark, so, Mark, what, uh, just so we understand, what, what substance are we talking about? No no judgments at all, I promise. What, what, are, we, what are we talking no about? So, you know what? I'm going to tell you because I am confident in telling you what was wrong, and I'm going to tell you. Why? What? No, why? Meth. Okay. Meth? How? Yes, okay. I did. And not something that I'm proud of at all, but I'm proud enough to tell you that I don't have to hide it or lie to you from it right now, and I know that I'm public. Uh, yeah. This is the first time I've been public on air before, but it's, it's something that's hard to people to admit, and I feel that for me to even want to overcome this, that I have to throw that out there and say, hey, this is what I did. Because if I would hide what it was, and I was still hiding it inside me at a little safe place, it doesn't have a safe place. Congratulations uh, on not uh, on not letting your pain guide your behaviors. It's a hard puzzle to figure out. Uh, are you doing any kind of twelve step, Mark? Do you have any kind of support in this? Do you go to meetings? Uh, I'm, I'm setting up things. Uh, me and my fiance, and I'm going to say our name. I'm just going to say K. I'm not going to put her name out there. It's okay. Um, she's an amazing woman. Uh, there's good people tell me that, hey, you know, it doesn't matter. We both have came to traumatic relationships through 
traumatic events, and you know sometimes hurt people, hurt people. Not saying she has done anything on me, but I know there's been a lot of judgment on both parts. Which okay. I say nobody has something nice to say about it. You don't know. Just don't say nothing because all that does is put more resentment, guilt on a person that's trying or maybe not trying. No, you're right. You're right. Listen, I'm, I mean, I have a lot of friends. I got a lot of friends who didn't have the support you have, and they're dead now. And then I have friends who who actually got clean and were able to kick and are leading incredible, gorgeous lives. So you're extremely lucky. But I, I, I hope you go to some meetings. I, I do, because there's a lot of you support know, no, there. I plan on setting it up. Um, actually, there's a counselor that, that we're both going to go see. You know, I, I talked to her about 10 minutes ago, and I told her, you know, she doesn't have faith right now. And I don't blame her. I really don't. It's okay. hard for me to say that, because, yeah, I let her down. I'm going to tell you what I did. Every time I would get discouraged in my relationship, everything, little aggravation, I would give, when I felt alone, the cold shoulders and all that, I I, I give. And today I said, you know what? Wow, I'm going to call this patient today. This may be my new trigger. I may be calling y'all. But I choose not to. She has her heart. That's probably what I'm going to do. I don't even know if she'll ever know anything about this radio station. That's okay. uh, well, I hey, I'm proud of you. For, I'm proud of you for talking about it. And congratulations. Well, listen. Thank I mean, don't vote. Step nine is is making amends, and and when you get there, you'll get there. So keep in touch you with know, us, Mark, and let us know how you're doing and how your recovery is going. I want to say this. I want to tell y'all, it's a very hard thing, and you know, a lot of this I'm doing by myself. I don't have any help, and I need to show her, not to see, show her, like she said. I asked her, "Did you call our counselor? Get to our meeting that we're having." No, she said, "No, you do." And I know why because she doesn't want to be the person let to lay down. If we both didn't show up, and that's fair because yeah, I let her down. Yeah, and I don't want anything to do that. Now I don't know. I want to ask you. By the way, by the way, Rhonda, uh, what are the odds that Russell Brand's making a very similar speech very soon? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Go ahead, Mark, really quick. Well, look, I want to ask y'all, because I've had a problem my whole life passing. I've done a lot of things by myself, and, you know, I, I don't want to be that person that just has that too, so much pride that it hurts me anymore. Yeah, of course. Um, anything that you know of resources along the way. One thing that I, I can say I'm blessed with, God bless me with a great car right now with this service on it, and I appreciate that. Um, I want to know, is there anything that can help with certain things that maybe people helping to get fuel to get to this point, but it's not actual cash money because I, I don't I don't want anybody to feel like I have to judge that, but helping somebody get to, to stuff like that. Is there any type of thing that people know of, know of as a, before a housing voucher, that the housing kicks in, that we, I have a rapid housing thing, right. or um, maybe a sober, shelf, safe living place. I want her to know that, hey, I'm not just out there. I want yeah. to have that peace of mind. That, okay, I, he's I in think right. I, I think you want to start going. I think you want to start going the meetings, and that will be your network for finding all the resources you need. Take in, advantage in of every resource possible. Uh, you have done magnificently on your own, but uh, walk with the support that is available. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't want to do it somewhere. You know. It's hard, and I don't want to try to say this, but I have four beautiful daughters. Oh, God, okay. Well, then you're doing it for them. Twins, twins, 
No, I'm doing it for me because if I don't do it for me, I'm not going to be strong enough for them. So you're That's doing the right I'm thing. You're going to get you're going to get this shit out of your system. It's going to take a while. It's going to be hard. It's progress, not perfection. Compare yourself only to who you were yesterday, because your job is to be a better man than you were yesterday. And and but just this is the thing. go ahead. I'm more worried about, and this is this is shitty as a man say. I'm going to tell you what my weak point is. She may think sometimes I say, "Okay, hey, love, whatever it is." <laughs> I say. As a man, I came from a broken home, so did she. Yeah. We didn't want that. We already planned to raise our kids different. I don't know if I could take having a broken life and the kids. I don't want something like that. That's, this is selfish of me to say. I don't want that to break me as a being. Somebody that, that triggers me to do something. That's not selfish. Yeah, You're thinking about real. your kids when you say but it. It's I'm not saying, selfish. No, I, and I'm thinking about her because she has a great version of me, okay? And I know in her heart she thought the woman, the, not even woman, the idiot I was with before, harmless okay. me, that was not even a creature. Now I have my first child, but she thinks that she got the adversity. No, that 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 didn't. And I want this woman to realize not the better person, the best person to be. I, I wanted her to be able to have. I don't, you know, what the biggest fear is for something to happen and us not be, and for us to see each other. Right. Mark, you're doing it. You're, Mark, 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 you're doing it all one day at a time. You're taking the steps. You're you're trying the kick. It's not going to be easy. And 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 just watch out oh, for the backsliding. No, but you're doing it. We got. I I, I, I got to run, my friend. I got to take some other calls. But do me a favor, please. Keep calling in and let us know how your recovery is going because you are all not right, alone. So, and I am so is, uh, happy for you. Mark, and you have impressed me Mark, so much. Uh, Mark, a.k.a. Rando, uh, I'll be at Rosenberg, so yes, I am the uh, the mysterious Rando, no longer the vampire. Okay. But, uh, I'm going to be the king for them again. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. Hey, Thank you. you did it. you're doing a great thing for your kids and for yourself. I, I want to say, I, uh, if I could, uh, I do unconditional love for my children and for Kayla, um, that I'll always have, no matter what the condition Anything, I would never turn my back on him. You know, Mark, think I'll of all the good deeds. Think of all the good deeds you're going to get to do for other people now because you're making the choice to kick and, and get healthy. So thank you for calling. I really do appreciate it. Boy, all these inspiring people, Rhonda. I need to talk about Russell Brand some more. I'm, I'm feeling inferior. <laughs> I think, well, Russell Brand is, it, it, it's very interesting to me that uh, these these people, you know, do this and... Uh, it's the timing of the revelation that always interests me, because uh, this this happened a while a while ago, didn't it, John? Yeah, this twenty is- years ago, and that's why you've got guys like Ben Shapiro, no less a moral titan than Ben Shapiro, who's essentially come out and said, "Well, it happened a long time ago, and he was a sex addict and really promiscuous, but he's now that he's been a right wing podcaster for three years and he spreads lies about fucking vaccines. Now Ben has said he's remade himself and he's a good person." Who would have thought that Ben Shapiro would be indifferent to rape victims? Oh, wow. Uh, well, yeah, this, this is really sad. It, it's very sad. But you know what really has my attention, John? When one of the most processed foods in America uh, has to be recalled because it has not been processed enough, I I think we're in trouble. I don't know if you heard about spam. No, no. Don't, ru- don't ruin spam for me. What happened? <laughs> Uh, they they they're saying that it was not processed enough and the uh, the food and uh, safety inspection is, is issued a warning regarding that that 
quote, meat product <laughs> because um, it was under processed and that can lead to contamination. Oh, so my God. If, it, if you are a, a spam fan, <laughs> beware. Wow. What am I going <laughs> to what am I going to feed my date? Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, Laura, Norman Tampa before the break. Welcome. You're on with Rhonda. Hey, how you doing? I mean, John? you just heard of guy talking about addiction. I know that that's in your wheelhouse, sir. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's just it. Addiction is a disease and a disease state. Thank you. And so we cr- turn around and we want to criminalize it. That's what makes no sense. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that you look at a Hunter, a Hunter Biden. He was a guy, so what is he, that, that he had become uh, a, a supposedly addicted to what the whatever it was? He needs treatment. And he's human. What happens is our addiction uh, criteria is often based on the dehumanization of the individual. In other words, eugenics, essentially what it is. And so what we then we develop these crazed uh, guidelines and policies, you know, out of a a flip of a hat. And uh, a lot of it and a lot of this thing, look about Hunter and Hunter Biden's case was actually developed by his dad himself. And so what we have to get um, uh, uh, the president to do is reverse that and go into what we call harm reduction. Yeah. Harm reduction. Yeah. Like they do in Sweden and those places and stuff. Yeah. So uh, and that's a term need we need to, to use more. I mean, that's absolutely. that's all the masks harm. were. Norm was harm yes. reduction. No one ever claimed right. that masks were going to protect you. It's a little thing we do like social distancing right. for harm reduction. Harm reduction. Yeah. And so. What, what what we do in your within the norms we outlined is how this our our policies right now for example quote unquote opioid all right which yeah. is always gets me you know and uh, that our our these these policy the guidelines that the CDC came up with mm-hmm. were completely first of all the CDC should have never come up with these guidelines because they have no business yeah. but they were based upon a group that had an interest in the drug Suboxone. I had a uh-huh. financial interest. So now we're giving Suboxone out prop physicians for the uh. for, for the proper use of opioids. You go back and look at all of them were shareholders in the company. Oh, yeah. That's the benefit there. Norm, we so, got to hit a well, break. I'm so sorry. Right. We're, we're hitting a hard break. But listen, I, I got this. Norms.com. Go ahead and, and let the Sackler family rot in prison. This is progress. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. 